0: May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, most of you know something about King David. Some of you know all that there is to know from your reading in God's Word, yet one aspect of the man tends to fly under the radar. It doesn't receive nearly as much attention as it should, and that is the fact that he was an accomplished musician. Now, we know we tend to focus on the other aspects of David. He was a fierce warrior, utterly ruthless when it came to warring against God's enemies, and yet in humility, you remember how he would not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed King Saul, even when that man turned away from God and sought to murder him repeatedly. In fact, this is what David did for Saul. Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand so Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. Now this part of David's character should interest because if for no other reason than what God himself said about David. Quoted in Acts 13, we read, I have found that David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. This is an example. And when we look at the full aspect of the man, how he had that humility, but he also was that warrior poet in the true sense of the word. And yet, this is what David, this man, wrote in one of his Psalms, one of my favorites Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. This is where music enters the picture for us. This is why we dedicate, we are dedicating this one Sunday to an examination of music and song because it is a part of us. It does involve, those of you who have taken singing lessons, I obviously have not, But those of you who have, know that one of the things that they emphasize is that singing is not just something to do with the vocal cords and a little air rushing by it. Voice coaches will tell you that singing involves what David described here as the whole being. It's a full body exercise. Interesting, isn't it? that this is how music comes into our lives. We recognize that God advocates for music, and yet it is music that incorporates emotion into our worship, isn't it? Otherwise, we would just speak all of our prayers. A hymn is just a prayer set to music. And yet God himself advocates this. Now, we're going to study This whole topic of music, song, and the words that form the basis, we're going to do it on the basis this morning of several texts. They'll be recorded, and we'll read them through the course of our study, asking our God to bless our worship, our study this morning. So we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. As always, if we do not incorporate balance and harmony into all things that we do, every aspect of our walk, of our Christian lives, we're going to encounter problems. So also in connection with our worship, in connection with what we speak, what we sing, why we sing, the melodies that we use, and so forth, balance and harmony is always going to be necessary. ask you a question. Have you ever tried to define or articulate the difference between speech and song? I should just, I was tempted to let you try to define it out loud for us. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but it's difficult. It's not as easy as it sounds. Now, predominantly if, and I have asked people, they will say, well, it has to do with the amount of air that goes by the vocal cords and how long you sustain notes. So just yes is speech, but yes is song. It's more than that. In fact, experts tell us that it has more to do with the range of pitch than it has to do with sustaining. In other words, human speech, whether you know it or not, has a certain range. It's a narrow range, but we vary. And if not, you all sound like Ben Stein. That's what makes him, his voice, notable. If you've ever had a professor that lectured to you in a monotone, that's when they stay on the same pitch. And it's extraordinarily hard to listen to. But did you just hear that? Extraordinarily high. The pitch varied, but again in a very narrow range. With music, the range is, for most singing, about two octaves. Now, if you don't believe this, we'll do one more quick test. If you say the words of, you're all familiar, I'm sure, with the sound of music, scale song, do, re, mi, fa, sol, If you say that, if you speak it and use the same pitch, no matter how long you hold it, it sounds like you're speaking, of course. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Now... Just vary the pitch as the song calls for you to do, and suddenly you're singing. Even if you hold it for the same amount of time, do ti la so fa mi do re. Or if I got the order wrong, you'll forgive me. Edit, I held the note for the same the word for the same song, for that same amount of time, but the pitch changed. And here's where this comes into play. This morning, it is the music that both conveys and elicits emotion it is how those notes are held and sustained and the pitch variation there is something hardwired into us that it brings out emotion in us and that's why as we noted before the the different musical the words like for example with our confession very different music than the words of absolution that we sang after that, redeemed, restored, forgiven. That melody wouldn't work, would it, with a confession? But neither would the confession melody really play well with that statement of confidence and joy that we have been redeemed, restored, forgiven. The poster child for me is always the Lassie theme. I, I know, I suppose most of you are old enough for that, but it is the saddest song ever written. Lassie's dead, (laughs) everybody's gone, it's all bad. And that fits sort of, it didn't, I never fit with that because it was always a happy ending. Lassie always told Timmy where somebody had fallen in the well and they were always rescued. But that melody, beautiful as it is, is haunting. It wouldn't fit with, I just met a girl and we're going to get married. So the music has to fit the words, but as Gary reiterated, the, ma- the words have to come first. Now, why would we be doing any of this? Why would we be concerned with this at all? In fact, should we go back to the time when the church didn't use music early? It was all just stale? Look at our first reading on the screen for this morning. They're also on the back of the service bulletin. God says, writing to the church at Colossae, that he expressed his human emotion which was sinless but nonetheless emotion we read for example in Matthew 26 that on the night he was betrayed after he instituted the Lord's Supper when he left that upper room we read this when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives where he was later arrested Jesus singing a hymn is a fascinating thought yeah true and that's not just New Testament in fact the Old Testament worship was they had prescribed music they had arrangements that were dedicated David played a large part this next reading is is a longer reading but as you follow along with this note how yes the the words were prescribed but the words formed the basis and the emotion was a byproduct of the word. So we read how God reminded the children of Israel what he had done for them, the promises or the fulfilled things that he's done in the past, the promises of the future, and that was the basis of that emotion that came out in their music. So reading in First Chronicles 16, then on that day David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Asaph was another one of the hymn writers, probably wrote more hymns than David even. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you are few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. Note in particular here the emotion of the music and singing and how it flowed from the message of the words, not the other way around. And I have no doubt that fitting for the period and their customs and their taste, the music would have reflected. It would not have been a maudlin dirge, a very sad or dry, but something uplifting, something flowing from the emotion of those words. When that happens and we need to copy this when that happens the emotion is never the end in itself it flows out from that joy that's in our hearts and then the emotion is never superficial or artificial it's real it's genuine obviously balance is always going to be necessary our worship here is the same will it involve emotion boy i hope so the the scripture account of what jesus did is the ultimate good news the gospel that we share what could be more emotional can you think of a of a of a better happily ever after story than god rescuing a sinner from a plight that he could not get himself out of, he couldn't extricate himself from. But God did that by sending his son Jesus, paying our sin debt. How can, when we really, truly understand where we were, dead in trespasses and sins, how could it not involve our emotion to thank, praise our God, acknowledge what he's done for us by sending his son? Liturgies, then, are orders of service, are just frameworks. God has has provided us or allowed us tremendous latitude. He has not prescribed for us as he did, for example, back in David's day. He did not prescribe how we would worship. He did not tell us what our music should sound like. It would vary with each age, and it would vary according to the subject matter. But in all things, again, balance, harmony. God has also instructed us that our worship services are to be conducted in good order. There should be dignity worthy of the subject matter. And so how do we achieve that balance? On the one hand, not having this chaos, but on the other, not squelching that Holy Spirit, that joy that that God intends to flow from us through our music, for example. So our liturgies are designed to give us a framework to express ourselves, the truth of God's Word, but then connected to each of us needs to take from this service. Like prayer, liturgies require work. They require effort and this is going to be difficult for those who especially grow up in the passive entertainment age because they're going to come to expect that when they come to church they're going to be passively entertained none of us are immune but when you look at a movie there's really no active participation unless you are interested and then you kind of pay attention but it requires nothing of you it's not so with prayer, and a hymn is just a prayer, again, set to music. That requires effort. The most beautiful, intricate, perfect liturgy is neutralized, is essentially nullified without the effort that each individual worship has to put into it. Every part of God's Word speaks against mindlessness, thoughtlessness, talks of vain repetition of words, of just saying or singing, or as we mentioned earlier, being carried away by a melody to the exclusion of the words that you're singing. God in his word taught us something about not just the effectiveness of prayer, but the struggle of prayer, the requirement of effort in connection with prayer our prayer, and again, therefore, also with our singing. Listen first to Paul speaking to the church in Corinth about the effectiveness of prayer. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Now listen carefully to this next. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayer of the many. That's astounding when you think about it. It, it. Prayer is effective. Prayer is valuable. You remember, James, the effective, fervent prayer or the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It accomplishes things. And yet not the thoughtless, mindless repetition of words. So prayer when done correctly, a hymn when sung correctly, you get it in your head ahead of time that you are actually talking to God, that He hears you, the creator of heaven and earth. Now you can't have a concept of God who has no body. You can only have this understanding that the unseen God hears you. You are actually conversing with Him. And you know you're doing it right when you actually... Realize that what you're saying he's listening to, and it alters your approach to your holy God. But listen also to how Paul later describes the effort that's required in prayer. Writing to the the church in Colossae, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Prayer takes work. Singing takes work. Obviously more effort for some of us than others. But understand that unless you bring to a worship service your attention, your effort, unless you resolve that I'm not going to be mindlessly entertained, passive, just sit there and maybe say some words when, when I'm supposed to say them, do not expect to get out of it what you're supposed to, what God intends, what God wants you to get out of it. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And this was the emotion, just the emotion of the worship that was going on in Corinth. So Paul says to that, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, that's the emotion, but I will sing praise with my mind also. So where does this, all of this leave us? Should we incorporate more emotion into our worship? Do we have too much emotion? Should we take some out? Should we tone it down? Those are the wrong questions, aren't they? The emotion is supposed to and will take care of itself. The key is in that first reading that we had, those words from Paul, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When we do that, when we let that word of Christ, that gospel message, dwell in us, when we contemplate things like the empty tomb and realize that that's not just God's declaration that, well, Jesus is no longer dead, he's risen, but that we're going to rise. That as Jesus died and rose, when we die, we will rise, as will every one of our loved ones who has died in that Christian faith. And we will be reunited. When we see how Jesus left but said, I'm coming back, and I'll take you to myself. When you really think about that, when you contemplate, when it fills your heart, when that is the thing on which I dwell, When that word of Christ dwells in you richly, the emotion will take care of itself. It can't help but overflow. So I leave you with one more section from God's word, that magnificent message that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. How can you and I not read these words and be filled with emotion? As Paul wrote, And you were dead Anybody here so far say, me too? He goes on, but God, not us, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, his undeserved love, in kindness toward us in in connection with Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus did that for us with hearts, Filled with joy and thanksgiving, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen.